the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio-registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Financial Food for Thought. We're here every Saturday morning on 1420 AM between 9 and 10. We're a financial educational talk program here to give you helpful information or make you aware of issues hopefully you weren't aware of before and opportunities, choices, and potential problems and talking about concerns that many people have, whether you're someone who is still working and thinking about when I can afford to retire or for retirees and worried about their spending and inflation and the impact of inflation, although we've talked about inflation has peaked, market volatility and a potential recession that's being talked about everywhere. And this company, this show is sponsored by the estate planning team, which is an an Ohio registered fiduciary fee based planning firm that has affordable fee options, both hourly and comprehensive retainers. And what we do is financial planning and model crunching or, or number crunching and financial planning and building these models so that people know how short term decisions impact the long term outcome of their choices. So if you, you know, your spending or the market declines or the higher inflation may not affect you in the next couple of years, but maybe down the road, it will cause um, a shortfall or many people are worried about that that don't need to be because they can't do those 20, 30 years of projections in their head. And along with that are opportunities and strategies you can be using to make things better, even if you're someone who can be okay. And we can do that through modeling timing of Social Security, pension elections, um, IRA distribution or company distribution planning, Roth conversions. And with the passage of the Secure Act 2.0, many people even have more of an opportunity to withdraw money from their IRAs and company plans more tax efficiently, especially if you're in the camp that believes tax rates are going to go up in the future. And if Congress does nothing, we know after 2025, tax rates will go to what they were pre the um Trump cuts and also the standard deduction goes back to what it was, which is considerably less. So, you know, between 2023 and 2025, many people have opportunities they're missing out on or they're headed for big taxes that they're not even aware of. And those are things that we do at the estate planning team. And we talk about on this radio show. We are not investment advisors. We believe in 
people working together, different advisors. Our clients either do the investing themselves or we work with their existing investment advisor. We run plans to know what growth rate they need, which translate to how much risk you really need to be taking on. And if you can do all the spending you can think of and never have to worry, then why take on more risk than necessary? And those are things that we do at the estate planning team. And we offer a free, no obligation no pressure consultation. We offer those both by phone or in person to see if you can benefit. And we actually run some preliminary analysis um, just for you taking the time to schedule, with, which helps us identify how we can help you and what options there are. With that. And we do that without pressure. So if you want to take advantage of a free consultation, you can give us a call and we'll call you back on Monday. Or if you send an email through the website, we'll respond to that as well. And we're scheduling the first quarter of 2023, um, which already I can't believe January is about over yeah. already. So it's going by fast. And February is the quickest. Month, right. right. So you can uh, leave a message at 440-239-2090. Again, that's 440-239-2090, or you can visit our website at financialfoodforthought.com. That's financialfoodforthought.com. All right, and that's Kara Waddell. My name is Mark Donnelly. And Kara, a couple of things. So today's theme for the show, I'm going to just throw out the proposition is, do you need to be concerned with a 23% cut in Social Security benefits in 2034? Okay. Um, That's the latest. And I'll talk more about that. But before that, just in your intro, a couple of things that um, come to mind is that Speaking of models, you know, and so we have to give our disclaimer, our t- our state planning team disclaimer, meaning all models are wrong, but some are useful, mm-hmm. and and I think that's the approach you have to take. Of course, you, you can't project everything out exactly how it's going to happen in real life, but modeling gives you a way to make decisions today, best you know, based on your best assumptions, you know, keeping conservative and realistic as parameters for the assumptions that you're making. As we all know now, you know, the Federal Reserve's 2021 inflationary models were wrong. Mm-hmm. They were all wrong, right? But that doesn't mean they stop using them. Right. They just continue to modify them and always saying, okay, how do we improve? How do if reality has changed what we were thinking? Do we can we go back in and modify our models accordingly to get back on track? And that's a very similar analogy to what we're trying to do with financial planning for our right. clients. Thirty year planning, in other words. Um and you also said about that window period, right? Mm-hmm. Now, and, and yes, we don't know if the Republicans are going to have enough votes to extend or make mm-hmm. Trump's lower tax rates permanent. It's going to be tough. You would need, right with all this spending. Uh, you you would well. I'm just saying politically. Right. You, you would need the 50 votes in the House, the White House, and 60 votes in the Senate. And and I don't I don't know if they're going to have that by 2026. Right. Um. So, but the other window, of course, too, is what the Secure Acts have done. You know, so Secure Act One that was passed in 2019, December 2019, that raised the required minimum age from 70 and a half to 72. Then Secure Act Two, which was passed this last December, 
raised it to 73 and perhaps 75. So, and, and that's, that's some of the complication that we're all have to kind of keep straight in our heads, right? So under the New Secure Act 2, any individual who attains age 72 after 1231-22, which, you know, just passed, right. um, and age 73 before January 1st of 2033, your applicable age is 73. Any individual who attains age 74 after 1231-32, so just remember 74 after 32, okay, their political age will now be 75. So that gives you, if you're looking for that window, Carrie, you had mentioned with the lower tax rates being part of that window, a second one is an extended perhaps RMD. Mm-hmm. meaning that you don't have to take out that money out of the IRA. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't. It's, you know, cash right. flow comes first. But if you are in a position where your plan A is telling you, hey, you don't have to take out of IRAs this year, then that leaves perhaps an opportunity. Because if you're still in a good tax bracket, perhaps you may want to do a Roth conversion, for right. example. Um. So 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 we'll talk a little bit more about that on these shows. We've been talking about that for a long time on these shows. And back to the the, the Social Security issue. So that got a lot of press, right, in, in in this last week because the Congressional Budget Office and the CBO came out with their latest predictions, and we'll, and everybody saw the headlines. And it's nothing new, you know, the idea that the solvency of Social Security is in question. And we won't even talk about Medicare uh, just in, in today's right. hour show. I was going to say that one's a little more complicated. Um, but, you know, so, and, and it's something that they've been warning about. And so certainly the Social Security trustees have been warning about this for a long, long time. And the issue is nothing, Congress is not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And they've got, it's just, a, it's a big uh, gap, right? In other words, the Democrats think the way to solve the Social Security solvency issue is by raising taxes. Okay. The Republicans, in other words, Democrats don't make any cuts to Social Security benefits, right? They want to raise taxes. Right. And they'll say, you know, raise taxes on the rich, right? And the Republicans don't want any tax hikes. And so they're, they say cut spending, which a lot of people interpret mean well. Then what you're saying is you're going to have to cut Social Security benefits. And that's well, what, there's a lot of ways you can cut spending. I think you need to do both. Well, reality. Right. But anyways, that's the that's the the gap that we're talking about. You know, you know, and and I don't know. There's no bridge right right now that's that's bringing these two parties together. And, uh, and I was going to say we're more divisive than ever. Yeah. So, but before I talk about some of the history of possible solutions to the social security dilemma. Uh, we first, we got some economic data this week mm-hmm. right? and first, you know, GDP. So we got the first reading of the fourth quarter GDP and it came in better than expected. It came in at 2.9%. And that bar, you know, that, that goes against the, the theme that we're in the recession. Right? But, I, but then I've read some things that's because of inventory, not necessarily because of that I've heard that that's misleading because I did read some of those headlines last night. Yeah. Well, inventory, yeah, certainly inventory is part of it. And of course, if we look back, so for the year, 
2022, it's going to come in, the GDP is going to come in at 2.1%. Now, remember, this is just the first reading of the fourth quarter. There'll actually be three readings um, over the next few you know months, but we'll see. So right now, the, the GDP for 2022 is sitting at 2.1%, far away from what we would say recessionary. Now, here's the, the deal, though. Because of the first two quarters of 2022 were negative GDP, which is constituting the the book definition of a recession when mm-hmm. you have two consecutive negative GDP quarters. But I don't think history will look back and say that there was a recession in 2022. I just don't think they're going to do it. Now, now, and now, granted, the first quarter that was a solid loss. Like, you know, the first quarter was down you know, 1.6%. The second quarter of 2022, yes, it was negative, but it was negative by point, 0.6%, mm. you know, almost a half a percent. You know, and right. so that's barely negative. Then the third quarter, roaring back at 3.2%, and then the fourth quarter, reading of 2.9%. So there you go. So I don't think history will, will call 2022 a recession. I think the reason why is because there wasn't that extended pain Right. Um, in, in other words, it, and you still had, uh, you know, everyone who wanted to have a job had a job and, and, and things like that. So we'll see. But, I, you know, the, this may be the most anticipated recession. We've been talking. <laughs> I was going to say economists have been talking about yeah. it for at least a good year. Right. So so that's GDP. The other thing. So how is the Fed's medicine working on stamping down inflation okay and and the personal consumption expenditures index is the one they like they one the federal reserve prefers over the cpi and partly the reason why they prefer the pce is that it it takes into account when consumers substitute cheaper goods for more expensive ones, which it's it's a saying that in reality, Americans, consumers, that we tend to look for alternative purchases if what we're normally buying, the price we think is too high. Right. Obviously, because of inflation, maybe. Now, I don't know if there's a substitution for eggs, right? You know, we've got the egg Farm issue Farm eggs. On. If you go to um, farmers, they're, they're still start reasonable. Your own, yeah, start your own, you know. Right, you but know, yeah. You start your own hen house. Um, or buy them in bulk. <laughs> but, but in other words, it, it's so that's why they like that. So we've got the PCE data for December. And as all the other ones, it is also indicating that inflation peaked back in June. So there's two, there's headline and then there's core. And the core is the one that excludes food and energy, right? And that's the one the Federal Reserve really looks at. Again, because the Federal Reserve says their monetary policy maneuvers, tools, so to speak, really can't control OPEC, you know, the global oil prices and or food, right? Right. Um, and and the, when you have a war in Ukraine, that was Ukraine was responsible for a lot of the, you know, what goes into fertilizers right. and food the grain you know and that that disrupts that and there's nothing the federal reserve can really do about that so that's why they tend to look at core but a lot of uh, listeners i know want to say mark i gotta buy food i gotta buy energy my oil for gasoline for my car so why are we looking at headline well let's look at headline so headline year over year for december came in at 5.0 percent 
still very high, not anywhere near 2%, right. the Fed stock. But let's look at the history. So going back to June of 2022, it was 6.8. July, it was 6.3. August, it was 6.2. September was 6.2. October, 6.0. November, 5.5. And December, 5.0. So again, you could say that trend is showing that it peaked back in June and we are now going down. If you look over a month over a month, you know, let's not for, let's look at the most recent 30-day period. For December it came in 0.1%. It's just barely, you know, uh, increase, right? That was the same uh rate for November, 0.1%. But previously in June it was 1.1%. Okay? okay. Then in uh by July August it was down to like 0.3%, held at 0.3% for a few months. Now it's at 0.1%. But now let's look at core. Um, so in core, the year over year came in at 4.4%. So again, down from, now they say core probably peaked, actually, core probably peaked, well, you could say in, in the beginning of the year, it was you know 5.4%. Then in June, it was about 4.8%. Um, October was back up to 5%. Now we're back down to 4.4%. Um, so again, that one's a little bit more jagged. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and and when you look at the month, the monthly, it came in at 0.3%, slightly higher than 0.2%. So it looks like if you headline, we're in a clearly on a trend downward. Right. But core... Right, I was going to say, go, go to the grocery store and tell me. But I mean, what I'm saying, right. but 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 that's that's the weird thing it, right. because core excludes food and energy. Right. So but, you would think because I know, like people, every time I go to the grocery store, people are complaining, and I'm looking at price, and you know, I make different choices because of the cost. Right. And it's and and I, I you know you could say yeah eggs are up so much, but eggs is a small percentage of your total purchases. Right. But everything. And, think about meat. Well, that's yeah. I mean, obviously, you want right. to do this right. You calculate your personal right, and that's indicator. what we've had our clients do. Say, hey, if you've done a maintenance of lifestyle schedule, let's look even historically at twenty twenty two. What did you spend on those same categories? Right, those and daily that, living expenses. Right, and let's even insurances have gone up. The auto insurance, I know the industry, the homeowner. So let's use that new number going forward and adjusting that model, like you said earlier, right. and replacing reality with some of our assumptions. So what is the Federal Reserve to do? So are, should they look at headline, which is clearly showing a trend downwards, meaning that they don't, know, they don't need any more interest rate hikes? Right. You know, Elizabeth Warren would love them not to make any more interest rate hikes, right? Or do they still stick to their guns about core and saying, well, core is a little bit jagged right now. We st- we're not done yet. We're not done taking the medicine mm-hmm. or giving the medicine right. to all of us. So I do think that's where they go. I think you'll see 25. Ba- I think they will scale back from the 50 basis point increases, rate hikes, mm-hmm. to 25. I don't think they're going to do 50 again. I think they'll do 25 and maybe three more of those and then maybe see. And I, and, and I think there's still not enough data here that's giving the Federal Reserve the confidence that inflation has been beaten that where they're thinking that they're going to cut rates in 2023. But there's some outliers who still believe that will happen as well. The other thing, too, just indicating whether or not the consumers are are – backing off 
So there, so in October, consumer spending was up. Okay, October of last year. But now we're looking back in November, December, and we're seeing actually consumer spending was dropping off. Okay. So again, perhaps in anticipation of a recession. Because look at the headlines. Um, perhaps their stimulus checks ran out. Right. Well, I think okay. the stimulus checks ran out a long time ago, Mark. I well, like, for most right. people. But they're saying that at the same time, savings rate is up a little bit. Okay. So it, it's so maybe that's more the line that people are saying, yeah, we are hearing the or reading the headlines or hearing the stories that maybe we better prepare for a recession. Which we tell our clients have a good cash, cash reserve. reserve. I mean, Absolutely. that's important. Especially if cash is now you know, liquid cash, you could be getting three to four percent return, mm-hmm. um, which wasn't available for the last 20 years, right? Um, and then you look at jobless claims, <laughs> weekly jobless claims, 186,000. What is going on? It's, it's, I mean, that's raising eyebrows. Are, are, are they just bad numbers? Is something going on that people just, or is it the Christmas layoffs? Like the bad weather? Yeah. Uh, it just, yeah, it's scratching your heads. Um, so there you go. It, it, it's a couple of things from there. So nobody knows what the real answer is or what how it's really going to fall out. Everybody's using their own models. All models are mm-hmm. wrong, but some are useful. So it gets back to what what gives you peace of mind. Because if if you want to, you could you, you could sit at the home on your couch and worry about it, right? And and get frozen in that fear, which a lot of people don't know what to do, so they do nothing. Absolutely. And or you can be more active and say, well, let's run some models and let's run some of those models under what we would call a worst case scenario. You know, if we did have tough economic times mm-hmm. ahead and you what you want to do or what you're that what that model is helping you understand is how it, not only how does it affect you right now which may be very little right but really how does it affect the longevity of your financial model but i think if you run a worst case because we've done it for our clients where you run that base case plan a if it's all working out but then sometimes whether somebody's who's working or i can think about a couple of cases or trying to decide when i can afford to retire they may want to see a worst case scenario and does that affect my retirement planned retirement date or i'm in retirement i was thinking a couple they haven't spent because they've been worried and then with the pandemic. So now they want to start spending, but she's worried about inflation. The wife is, she's worried about the market volatility. So we can model in a worst case scenario. It may not be realistic, but we can make it as ugly as possible and still show them how much more they can spend and still be okay. Which I think gives you, I think modeling those different scenarios translates to actionable steps of people saying, okay, now I can make a move. Or if it's not working out, this is how I need to adjust now. So I'm not worried in the future or, oh my gosh, I'm worried about this worst case scenario. And you know what, if it happens, I'm going to be okay. So here I am worried and not doing things that I could be doing because I don't know. Right. And that's the beauty of financial modeling because it, it, it leaves you in decision-making modes. And it's also, it gives you a way of measuring your progress. So 
like, let's go back to that example, Carrie, when, when we say, well, f- it, maybe you shouldn't even be, you know, basing your financial model on a CPI reading or a, a PCE reading or a PPI or any of them. Because really, that's irrelevant. It's my numbers. Yeah. So so why don't you calculate your own infl- personal inflation rate? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get the the question back, Mark, well, I don't know how to do that. And so, well, that's what having a, your you have. That's why modeling you'll know how to do that, right? And and, and so, in other words, if if you're because you're keeping track, you now are building up a historical respective of what you have spent in the past, mm-hmm. and it takes. That's the hardest part, right? <laughs> about financial planning, in my opinion, mm-hmm. after doing this for decades, it's putting a price tag on the rest of your lifetime. Mm-hmm. But it starts with how much did you spend? How much are you spending currently? Right? Do you have a good handle on that? And you know what? Surprisingly, a lot of people don't. As it, long it, as they're checking account, they know they're spending less than they're bringing in. But and that's fine. But when wages end, it's a little different story. And I think that's when people get nervous or they feel cash poor or they're like, I have these assets which you were intended to use, but they don't know which assets to draw from to create the income. Right. In other words, Carrie, like going into retirement. Yeah, right. You may not be worried at all when you got a paycheck. There's a lot in. of people don't budget with uh, that have a paycheck. Right. But that changes if you're going into retirement. So it's so so that's so if you've got a if you're now starting a history of what you're really spending so now Carrie you can perform what you were describing earlier that you could say okay what did what were my daily living expenses in 2021 and what were my daily living expenses in 2022 Mm-hmm. And you take the difference, divide it out, and there's your personal inflation rate. Right, and that's the that, that's a you know thumbnail of. And of, everybody's different, Mark, because you've talked about this before. Some people will adjust, and like I'm in that camp that makes different choices as far as what to purchase or comparable things at the last price. Other people say no, I like what I like. Some people like like certain brands of different things or even in food and they're going to keep continuing. So they're paying, they don't mind paying more for the things that they want. So everybody's different. You can't say it's a blanket answer for everybody. So even if CPI or whatever, those core numbers go up, your number may be different because you've made adjustments. So use your numbers because your money's the thing that matters. All right. So what did the, CBO reports say, Carrie. Um, and of course, they release this every year, and most people know the numbers. But what they're saying is that the if there are no changes right now in either the two main possible changes are increased revenues, the government we're talking about, mm-hmm. or cut, make cuts, right? But if nothing happens, they're saying that the trust fund, the Social Security trust fund, you know, would start being tapped out by year 2033. And it doesn't mean that it's bankrupt, right? Because it doesn't doesn't really go bankrupt because you always have uh, workers in this country kicking in. right? Right. It's just saying that there's not enough there to pay out the model benefits that they have to pay out, right? So it, it eventually leads to a problem, whereas if you don't increase the trust fund to cover that shortfall, the alternative is then you have to 
cut benefits. Mm -hmm. And that's across the board benefit cuts, right? right? Um, And so what they're saying is right now, it would be about a 23% cut starting in 2034. Okay, so that's my proposal question that I proposed at the beginning of the show. Do you need to be concerned with a 23% cut in Social Security benefits in year 2034? Now, again, here's where don't ask your, you know, your 90-year-old mother because I don't know if she has to be worried about a, a, a Social Security cut in 12 years. Right. Okay. Um, don't ask your neighbor. Don't ask your, you know, you have to kind of figure this out yourself. All right. Now, there's a lot of debate on why are we in such this this, this problem. Um, but let me see. Because it's different this time. <laughs> um, well, let me let me go and go back a little bit more. What the CBO CBO report said. Because I was going to say, isn't it partly because of the number of workers declined and there's the amount of people that are retiring? Yeah. It's a numbers game. Absolutely. We need people working and taking their payroll taxes. Um, They're also saying that, you know, that 23% cut in 2034, actually that would rise as time goes by, right? So they're saying by 2096, that's how far out they look. That's how far out they're modeling. I can't even get my head around that. All right. Um, there would be about a 35% cut. Now, they also said that, okay, CBO's 75-year forecast found Social Security actual deficit amounted to about 1.7% of GDP or about 4.9% of taxable payroll. So, Carrie, this is getting into the idea of the payroll, right? Right. How many, you know, how much payroll taxes are being collected with how many workers are today, right? So, in, in other words, the, meaning that the Social Security Trust Fund could be maintained through year 2096 if there was an immediate and permanent increase in the payroll tax rates of 4.9%. Now, I'm assuming they mean, you know, because right now the, the rate is, uh, you know, 12.4%, Carrie, right? But mm-hmm. you as an employee pay half of that and your employer pays half. So a lot of times you're thinking it, for your, it's 6.2%. Right. You know, that's what's coming out of your pay. And then your employer is putting in a matching 6.2%. So when they're saying 4.9, I'm assuming that, again, that would be split. Right. Between you and your employer, so it would. But that's still a substantial increase because that would have to happen immediately, not phased in. Right. Um, and so they're saying that you take that four point nine percent. So the employee would have to kick in another two point four five on top of their six point two. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that's yeah. That, that, that's, that's about a seventeen percent increase. I was going to say that's a chunk. Yeah, that would. You may feel that in your paycheck. Right. You might not, but I think you would. So if you're not going to go, if that's too hard to, to of a burden to put on the American worker, all right, well, then you would need an equivalent reduction in benefits to cover that 4.9%, right? Okay. Um, or what everybody is kind of, whoever who seriously came up with a solution is it's got to be a combination of both. Right. All right. So that's that's a little bit of the background. Um. But regardless of that, Mark, I want to remind people 
because we didn't get to it earlier that um, we can model that whatever number. I mean, we had people before this came out that said, I want to plan with no Social Security or cut it. I don't want to count on it. I don't believe it'll be there. How many people do we have that? Right. Um, or cutting it a higher percentage. I mean, this is your plan. We build custom financial plans and we help people with specific issues, whether it's looking at these projections and timing of Social Security, um, whatever concerns that you have, whether you're working or retired, which is why you should schedule a free consultation to see what opportunities are you missing out? Are there things that you're worried that planning can give you peace of mind? Um, if your plans even, if you know your numbers, you're pretty sure you're okay. Could you be better? Could you bring more net spendable dollars to your pocket? And that's what we do. And you can take advantage of a free consultation, which we offer by phone or in person. Call our office and leave a message. Also, if you go to the website, we do have in- incentives if you get on the schedule and schedule your free consultation. Our number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Or visit financialfoodforthought.com. And on the website, you can sign up for the free consultation. See the special if you decide to use our services on either the hourly or comprehensive retainers. And you can sign up for the newsletter as well. All right. So you're listening to Mark Donnelly and Kara Waddell, and we're the co-owners of the estate planning team. And the estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build these custom financial plans for over 36 years. And over those decades, Carrie, we have certainly have taught and, and worked with our new clients so they can start understanding that modeling helps them make decisions. And even though all models are wrong, some are useful. In other words, it helps you, it puts you in a decision making mode, especially if you understand how the model was built. And that's what we see a lot of people coming into us for the first time. They might have run some type of DIY, you know, do yourself internet plan, or perhaps had an investment advisor that ran a Monte Carlo analysis or, or something real quick where they answered 30 questions. They got a 30 page report, but they really didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it, they didn't have, they, they didn't have enough effort into it. And they and and not only did they not really understand it, they really had had no idea of how to go in and manipulate it mm-hmm. to run a different scenario. So that's what we say. Yeah, that's what you want to get comfortable doing, and we can certainly help you get over that learning curve. And that's what we've been doing for decades. But just back to the other reason why this is heating up this debate is dealing with this debt ceiling mm-hmm. problem, right? And because that's where there are a lot of headlines, and that's why you got to be careful about the headlines, where you have these political parties, there's a lot of grandstanding going right now. And, and you have a lot of people saying that, oh, the Republican plan is to slash Social Security benefits in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. And it's like, I don't know if that's the Republican plan. Um, and I was going to say, don't you think any p- politician that sl- threatens to slash Social Security uh, you know, benefits is not a good idea. Here's some of the Republicans' plans to slash Social Security and Medicare are becoming clearer. We have no choice but to make hard decisions. Um, then you have then you have <laughs> Joe Manchin, right? Um, who, who everyone knows Joe Manchin, but he's saying, okay, the Social Security change that would be the easiest and quickest is is talking about raising the cap. You know, we'll talk about mm-hmm. that today, right? Um, then, and then also Manchin kind of came out and said that he had a meeting with Kevin McCarthy, you know, the new house leader, Republican, 
and kind of got a commitment from McCarthy that, yes, the Social Security cut is off the table in terms of raising the debt ceiling. And that kind of just was a complete reversal of what some of the earlier headlines were saying. Um, and then I think Kevin McCarthy did come out and say, yeah, I, I did say that. So, you know, you have, so, so we have a lot of the think tanks and the PACs, you know, political organizations, they're all coming out with their white papers and saying, right. this is, this is the right way to do it. Or, or they're, or they're pointing fingers at their, uh, the opposing parties and saying, that's what they're going to do. And, and it's going to, you know, and, ugh, you got to stay away from that. Right. Um, Donald Trump. You know, join the dialogue, right? Uh, what was Donald Trump? Remember him, Kerry? Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Um, under no circumstances should Republicans vote to cut a single penny away from Medicare or Social Security, Trump said in a video. Cut waste, fraud, and abuse everywhere that we can find it, and there is plenty. There's plenty of it. But do not cut the benefits of seniors w- work for and paid for their entire lives. So, you know, save Social Security, don't destroy it. And that's kind of your point, Carrie, right? You're saying mm-hmm. that there's there's other spending cuts that they can do other than cutting Medicare and Social Security benefits. Right. But so so what are the reasons? So this was one thing, Tank Carrie, um, and they came up with the seven reasons why we have the problem, right? And why they're saying there's discussion of this, that why there has to be a cut of 23% starting in 2034 if nothing is done. And one is the baby boomers retiring. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're saying um, that is leading to so many more people, you know, that 10,000 a day right. turning 65. Um, and they're, you know, that number is increasing. And that's certainly one of the reasons. Increased longevity. All right. Um, again, when the program started, 1940, the average life expectancy was about age 63. Okay. That's a little bit different now. It's about 77 right now. I think the Rona actually might have lowered it a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, but they said over that same time period, the full retirement age for Social Security only went up from 65 to 67. See, that's a disconnect. Right. You You had the life expectancies go from 63 to 77. But the actual full retirement age of Social Security only went up by a couple. Yeah, very right. small amount. Um, a third reason is historically low birth rates. Okay, because um, you need more money in. You need you more know, workers, and you need more workers. Not only, and how many people are not working? You got it. Great resignation. Quiet quitting, Carrie. Oh my god. Um, right. So retired workers' benefits are in danger of being cut. Okay. Okay. So, so what oh, I'm trying to say here. Based on data from the Centers in Disease Control and Prevention, U.S. fertility rate fell to an all-time low of roughly 1.6 in 2020. Okay. Um, For context, a fertility rate of 2.1 is what's necessary to exactly replace the previous generation. A fourth reason is declining net legal immigration, Carrie, not illegal immigration, Legal immigration. Mm-hmm. So they're saying this is a reason. Um, same thing. Available workers, right? Paying into the Social Security mm-hmm. system. Legal immigration is vital to the health of Social Security. Since legal immigrants tend to be younger, they're liable to spend decades in the workforce contributing revenue to Social Security. All right. Um, However, illegals is a whole other story. 
Yeah, I don't want to go down that path. <laughs> no, I was going to say. Because um, we don't know how many there are. Uh, in the rolling five-year period and in the first half of 1997, average annual net migration into the U.S. totaled 1,772,000 people. Just two decades later, the rolling five-year annual average is down to 954,000. Not cut quite in half, but it's a big decrease. So again, you know, and I keep saying too, if the robots who I believe will replace all our jobs eventually, mm-hmm. they're going to have to pay payroll taxes. Oh, or some, yeah. They're, they're going to have to. Um, robots aren't going to like it, but they're, they're going to have to pay payroll taxes. So I guess you should, anybody going, it should be a robot repair person. Right. Or a creator. <laughs> um, a fifth reason, growing income inequality. All right. Um, now, this gets into the issue of that cap, right? So right mm-hmm. now, there's a cap on how much of your wages are subject to the Social Security tax. So currently, it's 160200 That's for 2023. In 2022, it was 147000 So it does go up with right. inflation, and, and that was an increase, but it's not going up <laughs> in proportion to the problem, right? Um, so let's see if I can, I'll just read this, Carrie, see if you can understand it. In 2022, um, all earned income between a penny and 147000 is subject to the 12.4 payroll tax. Approximately 94% of all workers bring home less than 147000 annually. 94%, Carrie. Wow. Okay, which means they're paying into the program on every dollar earned. Meanwhile, income earned above 147000 is exempt from the payroll tax. Right. So just raise that. Problem solved. So between 1983 and 2016, the amount of earned income exempt from the payroll tax grew from about $300 billion to today's $1.2 trillion. <sighs> Do you think they have to raise the cap? Absolutely. All right. To um, me, that's a no-brainer. Being able to tax some or all of this exempt income would certainly close some of the program's funding problems. Okay. Um, a sixth reason is the, well, this is interesting, the, the Federal Reserve's dovish monetary policy. All right. Um, now, this this one is interesting, right? Because supposedly, you know, the, the trust fund is that sitting around, right? Right. And we, of course, know it's not, right? But mm-hmm. whatever, right? Right. Um, all right. So, all right, security, okay, although the nation's central bank has been aggressively raising interest rates since March of 2022 to tame high inflation, the Fed kept rates at near historic lows for most of the past 14 years. So while low interest rates encourage borrowing, they weigh down the yields on bonds. So Social Security is required to hold its excess cash reserves in special issue bonds. The yields on these bonds have been shrinking for years. So it's so it's not growing enough, right? right. You know, so you have, you know, and 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 then and the seventh reason they give is back to the political. Okay. Um you know, the, the Capitol Hill, you know, just a deadlock, the gridlock where you just don't have either party making any concessions and they just keep kicking right. the can down the road. So what is so so let's look at so what does Joe Biden want to do? Okay. So President Biden. So he's um 
Okay, so how does he think? Or in obviously, he's speaking I was going to say, do you think he party. thinks? <laughs> he's speaking like, for the how are the how is the Democratic Party telling him to think? Exactly. Um, all right. So solutions: one, lift payroll taxation on high earners. Okay, there that's you go. a no brainer. All right. Um, now the uh, now he wants to do it. Biden's plan would reinstate the payroll tax on earned income above four hundred thousand while creating a donut hole between the maximum taxable earnings cap, again, this year it's 160200 and the 400000 where earned income would remain exempt. Since the maximum taxable earnings cap increases over time, this donut hole would eventually close and then subject all earned income to the payroll tax. So, Ooh, it, it's that so, would... so that's kind of what he's saying. In other words, right now, you you would still have that cap of one hundred sixty thousand, but anyone any income over four hundred thousand, then there would be no cap. But as but that's one sixty goes up every year, Carrie. Right. Right. So eventually it would get, get up to the four hundred thousand, unless you added inflation to the four hundred thousand. Okay. Um, a second point would be to change the inflation, the cost of living adjustment. Now both Democrats and Republicans have their ideas here, mm-hmm. but again, guess what, Carrie? They're not the same. No, not even close. Well, I'm just saying on the on the right. cola alone. Right, so, so, but I'm saying, do you think they ever agree? Well, I mean, oh yeah, okay. So the so currently, it's 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 what we call CPIW, and the W you know standing for Urban Wage Earners and Clerical Workers. Right. Okay. Um, the Democrats want to change it to CPIE, E standing for Elderly. All right, um, and what they're what they're saying is the CPIE specifically tracks the expenditures for seniors. It should result in more accurate cost of living adjustments for those types of individuals. Okay. So they want to do that. Um, but as I said, the the uh, the the Republicans want to go to a chain CPI. Have you heard that or a a chain weighted or a chain link? Okay, no. Okay. That's based on the idea that when prices for different goods change at different rates, consumers will adjust their purchasing patterns by purchasing more of the products whose relative prices have declined and fewer of the of those products where the relative prices have increased. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we were just talking about say, that's the personal me. consumption reserve, right. expenditure of the Federal Reserve. So that's what the Republicans want to use. Okay. Um, so they're not on the same page for that. Um, did I go through? All right. So what's a third thing that the Democrats and President Biden want? Increase the special minimum benefit. Um, I'm not sure. Proposed by Biden involves increasing the special minimum benefit paid for lifetime low earner workers. Okay. So this year, the maximum payoff for a lifetime low earner with 30 years of coverage is just nine fifty one per month. Okay, they want to increase that. So the, again, they they want the Democrats want to say we, we're going to ta- we we got to either cut benefits of the higher earners, right? Kind of like a means testing, but that we can't we can't further hurt the lower earners, right? So they need they need guide they need guide rails there. Right. They, they need um, to protect that. Um, boost the primary insurance amount for age beneficiaries. Okay, so this would this is this is interesting. 
um, would see the primary insurance amount steadily increased over time for older beneficiaries. Specifically, would the PIA would grow by 1% annually from ages 78 to 82 until a 5% cumulative increase is realized. So, so okay, so that's interesting. Um, so there's, there's some of what, some, what President Biden is talking about. Um, you have, and then, you know, you have the, the Simpson Bowles plan carried, which was smart. Um, and how much money of our taxpayer dollars go for a solution? And that was, um, yeah, so that was Obama, correct? Yeah, Obama, yeah, that was the I'm trying to, yeah, I, I don't know if I have time to get into that today, Carrie. Um, but it was next week, I may come back and kind of say, how does that. Yeah, it was actually called, it was called what? The National Commission for Fiscal Responsibility and Reform. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, I've, I can maybe do this quickly, Carrie. So so basically, you had, uh, you know, maybe the top four points there. And, and they're kind of coming back now. All right. Um, and the, what, what it was, it was a, um, it was a combination of, Benefit cuts and tax increases. Okay, so it was a compromise, and that's what you know. You had, you know, the 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 Democrat was, you know, Erskine Bowles. He was you know, Clinton's former White House chief staff, and then the Republican was Alan uh, Simpson, you know, you know former mm-hmm. uh, senator. So it was saying. So it was. So one of the things that that, that they did that you know all beneficiaries except very low earnings. Again, protecting the right. low earning ones. The benefit cut for the medium earner at the time, this was done in 2010. Right. So at the time, the medium earner was defined as 43000 a year. Okay. It would be about a 13, they were projecting it would be about a 13% cut. Okay. All right. To save it. Um, and then maybe raising to 19% over time. That sounds a lot better than 20. the 23% right. cut now. And 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 even higher by you know in a few years, right? Um, a second one it was to raise the full retirement age. You know mm-hmm. that same thing. That you know, makes sense. That, that's the one that hasn't been going up, right? Um, in proportion to the no, age. No, and it's been. I think the max has been sixty-seven for how long? Yeah, um, it was sixty-seven back in twenty ten. because so. um, that's what they're quoting here. Then um, they said that would be continued to be increased. Uh, it, with the life expectancy increases. Which makes sense. And they estimated it was about, at the time, running about one month for every two years. Okay. Now, Kerry, they also said it would not only raise the full retirement age, it would also raise, would also raise that age 62 when you could begin. Okay, which makes sense proportionally. If and, the- and they said it would proportionally go up. So it would be going up. So it would always be a five-year difference between right. your full retirement age and, and starting earliest. early at a penalty. And then, um, and then one additional one was to uh, – now, well, see, that's – just go back to that one, for example. See, that's when, when, when the Simpson-Bowles report came out. That was one that was kind of debated, is that a tax cut? Or, I'm sorry, a benefit cut. Right. Is that a benefit cut? Yeah. Well, you mean the ages? Yes. I would say no. Most people thought they said they said yes. Because I think a benefit is cut is something that, hey, I was anticipating, like, I get my benefit statement right. and it goes so, down. So, so, Carrie, I was, I was thinking I could start my Social Security at, at 67. 
Well, then start doing it for people that haven't been born yet, at least. Or, well, I don't know, you or people who are young enough that aren't even thinking about Social Security. And that's kind of how they raise it. Really? Because you think a 20, 30-year-old is thinking about Social Security? Right. No. Um, Now, so the, the... yeah, so that so, but they did kind of say that is kind of a cut. So that's what I'm saying. In today's world, if the if the Republicans are saying, um, or if the Democrats are saying we don't want any cuts, would they be open to raising the age? Which you need to be. I mean, the reality is you're going to have to okay raise the age if um, life expectancy keeps going up. One more would be. Um, raising, and they also Simpson Bowles also wanted to raise the cap. They're saying that that's not enough. You know, you've got to get that cap up um, proportionally to the higher earners. Um, and so they want that. So a lot of those ideas are still bouncing around today, <laughs> you know, th- 13 years later. And there's still Congress has not done anything. Right. But, uh. but there's a there's a new one. Have you heard about this? The King. I call it the King Cassidy. No. All right. So you this is this is kind of new, Carrie. And and. and it, it's kind of a com- it's it's taking a different pathway, and it's creating what what we would call a social wealth fund plan, separate from the you know the the Social Security trust fund, and it's being presented by the Republican senator out of Louisiana, Bill Cassidy, and the Independent out of Maine, Angus King, and basically it it, it would be separate from the Social Security trust fund, but you know the federal government would create a new fund in which borrowed money would be invested in stocks, which typically grant a much higher rate of return than the treasury bonds. Um, In other words, they would harness a small amount of American capital income, returns from stocks, debt, and so forth, which would reliably, you know, constitute about 30% of national income. So they're saying is wealthy Americans are participating in all the growth and innovation and the stocks and everything. And the retirees on Social Security aren't benefiting any of that. Right. So why not borrow at 3% if you could earn 10%, pocket the difference? Is that a possible solution? Maybe. Well, regardless, find out how all of these things can impact you. Call for a free consultation at 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.